Christ. Happy church. It is that time. Settle down. Turn your devices to Acts 21. You can even open a Bible. We're going to get started here, pick up where we left off. They reach their targeted destiny here, the plan to be back in Jerusalem by springtime. It is springtime. It's the day of Pentecost uh, celebration, and they find their way there to Jerusalem uh, where something very dramatic takes place. Father God, now as the drama unfolds once again, Paul the Apostle finding himself in uh, harm's way because of preaching a message that the world doesn't want to hear. We pray, God, that we, who also preach the same message that gets us into trouble as well, uh, Lord, we would listen carefully to the encouragement that you have for us, Lord, as we continue to be faithful no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen. So what would you say is the worst idea you ever had? I know it may be hard to narrow down, because <laughs> we humans, we do that, don't we? We get dumb ideas from time to time. I call them wisdom-challenged notions. They turn out badly, mostly because we don't take the time to think them all the way through to see if there might be potential mishaps. I was reading about a new craze, taking a selfie in a very dangerous place, like right on the edge of a towering cliff, or super close to a wild animal, or atop of a moving train, with the hopes that the picture's gonna go viral, but only the person taking the selfie winds up in the hospital, or worse, when the bright idea uh, turns out to backfire. This kind of thing reminds me of the dumb idea here in Acts chapter 21 that some believers, church leaders, have for the Apostle Paul. They want to help God out. They want to be a blessing to Paul, to make his reputation uh, more better received there in Jerusalem. And as a result, they place the Apostle Paul in great danger. And so here's the context. Of course, I already said the missionary team, after several years evangelizing outside of Israel, uh, the, all of the nation, of modern-day nation of Turkey, and then into Europe, to Greece and Macedonia at the time, uh, now they're, they're finished, and they're, the Lord has called them back home, and they're stopping uh, at Jerusalem, where there's a very formal mega church filled with very legalistic Christian Jewish people. So there's tension building in our passage. Uh, the tension on both sides. We have heard with the missionary team as they're stopping and fellowshipping with Christians along the way that there's been a word, a consistent word from the Lord that indeed there will be hardship waiting in Jerusalem for Paul. So they're bracing for impact. right Now, of course, uh, the Jerusalem church knows they're coming. They have ways to communicate even back then. And they know that Paul, <laughs> the apostle, is like the firecracker. He's like a notorious, infamous guy that much of Jerusalem either doesn't like, the Christians don't like him so much, 
But the unbelieving Jews, they hate him and, and they want him dead because they see him as a traitor. He's preaching grace, grace, grace. He cares nothing about Moses' law. He speaks ill of Judaism and the, the commandments and all of our beloved traditions, keeping the Sabbath and eating kosher. And he, all he wants to do is talk about free in the Lord and faith in Jesus and grace upon grace, you see. And so, you know, this is the struggle. And so he, he, he winds up arriving and they have a plan. They have a plan, and <laughs> their plan is to really help uh, the Jews to accept Paul, uh, to improve his terrible reputation, to reduce the tension. And so the problem is it doesn't make anything better. It makes everything worse. Verse 17, they arrive. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers, the officials there, the church, received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see Pastor James. I'll tell you right now, I've told you this before. This is the Lord's, if we could call him half-brother, just in our minds. He is the son of Mary and Joseph, but uh, he is younger, obviously, than Jesus. And he grows up with the Son of God as his older brother in the same house. And he is the one who's pastoring. He didn't believe in the Lord until after the resurrection when the Lord appeared to him. He is the author of the book of James and the book of James is already released at this time. And all the elders, probably 70. So I just want you to picture these guys coming in from the Gentile world to a very Jewish church uh, with a lot of guys standing there in the room, full Jewish regalia and uh, very tight on the law of Moses. And here uh, there are seven Gentiles on the team. And so just to picture what's going on here, Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the nations. The word Gentile means nations through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Okay, that's good. Then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews we have here who have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law? They didn't put a question mark there. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the nations to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our Jewish customs. What should we do? They will certainly find out that you've come. So do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a nice Jewish vow very Old Testament of them. Uh, take these men, join with them in the purification rites, and pay their expenses, as is our custom. Somebody can sponsor them, join with them, so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everybody will see you there, and they will know that there's no truth in these reports about you, that you hate all things Old Testament, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. That's the message these Christian leaders want the apostle of the gospel of grace to send out that he lives in obedience to Moses' laws. This is not good. <laughs> not good. 
As for the Gentile believers, in case you're worried that we've gone back to forcing Gentiles to become Jews, we haven't done that. We're we're still agreeing. Uh, We have written to them in our decision back in Acts 15, the church council, that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. Verse 25, he's saying, look, we're not trying to make the Gentiles, we're to, don't get the wrong idea, we're not trying to force Jewish customs on Gentiles. Uh, we still agree that for the sake of Gentiles who come to Christ, fellowshipping with Jews who have come to Christ, for the sake of fellowship, they should do the following in the letter there. And that was, remember, uh, the Gentiles liked to eat a lot, uh, uh, with blo- a lot of food with blood still in it, and uh, that would turn the Jewish people off, or they would eat meat that was dedicated to pagan gods, and the Jewish Christians said, no, can do. And then they were actually marrying brothers and sisters, and that's what the sexual immorality clause there is, saying uh, that will will make fellowship with Jews, Jewish Christians, really impossible. So please keep those things in mind. So bottom line there, he's saying, for you, we want you to act more Jewish, but we're not going to force the Gentiles to do it. But you're a Jew, and so you need to act like a Jew. Uh, that's kind of the, the idea there. Okay, uh, so let's dive in. Okay, if you're taking notes, number one, the good report, uh, 17 to 20, and then the bad idea. Uh, 20 through 23, and then we'll continue further. You're going to see what happens as a result of this very bad idea with point number three, the furious mob, uh, verses 23 through 30 to come. And then we'll conclude with the life-saving intervention there, verses 31 to 36. So let's get to it, the good report, starting at verse 17. It looks like it's gotten (laughs) off to a really good start. Uh, But commentators are quick to draw our attention to a couple things that make us understand that really there's some superficialness going on here. Uh, But of course, warmly received is better than not. So verse 17, some commentators say, though certainly some in that crowd, they don't like Paul. They don't. And um, he just is too much involved with Gentiles. He's too much grace, grace, grace for them. And so there, there's a, when they look at him, they have one eyebrow arched. Like really, he's the guy who's always pushing the envelope. And so some of them just, you know, maybe some courtesy smiles in that warm uh, greeting. It's John Phillips, the commentator, who uh, really suggests that there's a couple things here that we should uh, keep in mind. Uh, there's this quick praise God at the end of the uh, of the time. You know, he pours out his heart. The word there to detail means to itemize everything from three missionary journeys, almost 15 years. He's got stories, and let me show you a map. He's telling them about he's itemizing things that happened on Cyprus when that first missionary uh, trip happened and then they went up into central Turkey and then they came back and then the second one when they went around and came back and the third one they went around, got down to Corinth and then decided to come home and all the stops along the way and there, there they are. He's got a lot to say and there's a praise God. 
And then there's a conjunction that the commentators say is there to show you in response to all the stories that in response to that, they say, praise God, and now let's talk about something that's a little bit more important than evangelizing the entire known world out there. Your image. We've got to spruce up your Jewish kosher image, Paul. Your Jewish curb appeal is lacking. That's what's important. You see, thank you for that picture. I, I mean, think about what he shared. He was sharing things like, you know, in faraway Turkey, brothers, let me tell you, in Ephesus, we set up a Bible training center. We evangelized the entire province. I'm just quoting Acts. We, 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 we started churches in Thyatira in Philadelphia, which is the name of a church there in that province. Laodicea, Colossae, Galatia. All of these churches came about because we had a Bible college in Ephesus. And, and earlier, they had a bonfire there in the city, and all of these sorcerers who got saved, they came with millions of dollars, millions of shekels, of worth of magic scrolls, and burned them in a fire. I mean, he could go on. He says, then we got to Europe. Maybe Luke or Silas is talking. By the way, a lot of commentators think Silas is Luke's brother. That's kind of fun fact for you out there. And so maybe Silas is saying, hey, when I went to Europe with the group, and now Silas is speaking about getting tossed into jail. We got to Europe, and how did they welcome us? We got tossed into jail. We were beaten, and we were in painful stocks. And at midnight, we sang out hymns, and God rocked the place with an earthquake, and the doors flew open and the chains fell off and guess what? The jailer and his family got saved and we baptized them that night. These stories go on and on and on. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of former pagans who knew nothing about the God of Israel are now washed in the blood of the Lamb, singing praises to God and living lives that honor Him. And they say, well, let's talk about your image. There's no interest. There's no questioning. There's no, they're awkward. They feel like, what are these Gentiles doing? And, and, and here's the other thing that commentators say. The purpose of going to Jerusalem, the number one reason they're there, is to bring an offering from the Gentile nations for the needy Christian Jews in Jerusalem who are suffering because of a famine. Where's mention, where's mention of the reason they're there? Commentators, because they don't want to take it. It's Gentile money from Gentiles. And these are people who are zealous for the law of Moses. And anyone who's zealous for the law of Moses is not zealous for fellowship with those who are zealous for grace. Because grace and law, <laughs> two different planets, you see. And so maybe commentators say, that they come up with a plan to say, listen, we could take Gentile money a lot easier and explain our association with you and your Gentile ministry if you would improve your Jewish reputation. So let's, we've got a plan here. So let's talk about the plan, all right? So verses, verse 20, they say, 
You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have become Christians and all of them are zealous for the law of Moses. This, this is sad. This is, this is a letdown to Paul. This is just saying, you know, you may have, the last breath was thousands of pagans have come to find the grace and love of God set free from sin, living in grace, faith, grace, Jesus. We have thousands of here who got saved too, and they're all zealous for the law of Moses. Break my heart. That's what Paul is thinking. Why not say, and they're, they're zealous for Jesus. They're zealous for the gospel. They're excited about grace. They're, they're salvation through faith, man. They're coming away and out from the, the, the restrictive life of living under tablets of rocks that etched in thou shalt not, thou shalt or die. And so they're zealous about the grace of God and they're preaching the grace of God. No, none of that, no. Uh, we have thousands of converts to Christ who are more excited than ever about keeping the law of Moses. That means everybody in the room is uncomfortable with the Gentiles. There they are. Everybody in the room is going to be watching at the table who's eating what. Everyone in the room is keeping a kosher table because if they're zealous for the law of Moses, that's what you do. So this is not good news for our friend, the Apostle Paul. So, um, Follow me as I paraphrase, okay. The word on the street, Paul, is that you're not zealous for the law like we are. <laughs> you actually speak against the law. That's what they think, which of course he didn't do. Our beloved Jewish religions, religion and tradition, uh, traditions, what are we going to do? Because they're going to find out you're here. You're a pretty famous guy. No worries. We've got a good idea. Just trust us. Do what we say and everything will be fine. So, yeah, misinformation happens. They didn't get it, and this is what the enemy does. He takes the truth of the gospel, and he twists it. That's his job. He tweaks it so that they hear us saying something we're not saying at all. And, and what he was saying was the commandments, and he says this all the time. The commandments of God, holy, good, beautiful, right, except they can't save you. They're not your friends. Stop talking about how much you delight in them and trust in them when they're pointing a finger at you and saying, liar, you are a condemned liar. Thou shalt not lie, and you lie, liar. That's all he's saying. Is it the commandments problem? No, it's not the commandments problem. It's our problem. The commandment was given to point out our sin out, that we need a savior. Galatians chapter 3 verse 21 says that the commandment came to lead us to put our hand in the hand of Jesus and so that we can stop thinking we're basically good people. The commandment came to say, no, you're not. Because if you were a basically good person, you would keep all of them. But you don't. You break them. And so that's all he said. And so they heard Oh, you're against the law of Moses. No, not against it. It just can't save you. And, and the same was true. Now, the, with the Sabbath, he would say, Jesus is our Sabbath. Now, we've got the whole Mediterranean world that doesn't even know what a Sabbath is. They're not keeping the Sabbath because what, what does Sabbath mean? 
You don't need the Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath. So he would say that, and they're saying, you're transgressing this. You're teaching people that the Sabbath's terrible. No, he says in Romans 14, listen, Jewish Christians, if you want to stay Jewish, stay Jewish. But it's not helping your relationship with God, or I should phrase it this way, it's it's not saving you. It may help you commemorate the holidays, the Sabbath. If you want to circumcise your kids as Jews, circumcise them. But the mark doesn't mean anything without being born again, which is what circumcision means. You can't get to heaven by natural human reproduction. God has to intervene. That's about the mark. You have to be born again. If you're born again, then maybe the sign is is significant to you at least. But it won't save you. That's all he's talking about. So all of that, even though he's like, you can keep it if you want it, but don't trust in it, uh, is what got translated to you're a blasphemer when it was all about the temple, who the whole Mediterranean didn't even know there was a temple there. The temple, the temple, the temple. And, And Paul would say, we're the temple. The temple's the idea. We're the true temple. And the Holy Spirit's in us. So you don't have to be at the temple on those three holidays anymore because we're the temple. They said, how dare you come against Moses and all of this? So we, we, we may understand what you're trying to say, Paul, because praise God, who can deny what you're doing out there? But uh, not everybody else does. So we got this plan. Verses 23, I'm paraphrasing, follow along with me. We got these four guys. They're going to do this really Jewish thing in the public. And we want you to go out there and listen to me because this, if it was contemporary, this would be totally true. We want you to go out there, sponsor them, get involved. And when they shave their heads in the temple, we want you to take a selfie. We want you to take a selfie and then post it on Facebook and Instagram, 100%. Then people will know. They'll look at that and say, what's Paul doing in the temple with his arms around Jewish guys with their shaved heads as the sponsor? Ah, then they'll see the post and the picture, and they'll say, oh, we've got the wrong idea about him. But no, they had Paul on the precipice atop of a moving train trying to get a selfie And whoops, here comes a bridge. And he falls off, as we're about to see. Yeah, you know what one writer pointed out? What a miserable lost opportunity for them to hear the story of the then known world being evangelized and hear and see these converted Gentile men standing there with money (laughs) for them to say, oh, we've, we've got to make this known. How do we make this known? Get the selfie sticks out now here with the Gentiles and the offering and let's post this picture and let's go viral with this whole new understanding of grace and let's help have a turnaround here in Jerusalem at the mother church, as it were. That's not a very good mother because she only cared about her Jewish babies and not the Gentile ones. So Paul's got a big heart for the Jewish people, so he's going to take these people's advice. He's going to don the yarmulke, as it's called, and he's going to put on his rabbi strings. They're called tassels. 
right? And he's going to listen to them. Let's check it out. 26 through 30. The next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. He's in. He's in with the guys. Then he went to the temple to give notice, all the little things you do with your Jewish oaths of dedication to the Lord, you know. Uh, and uh, he's taking care of business out there. Verse 27. When the seven days were nearly op- over, some Jews from the province of Asia, Ephesus, happened to be, this is like a thousand miles away. Well, the Jews come to Jerusalem for Pentecost, the holiday. And they hated Paul and knew Paul back in Ephesus. And now, of all places, they happen to be in the temple when Paul's there with the four guys getting their hair hair, uh, shaved off. Well, they see him. They stir up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, men of Israel, help us. This is the guy who teaches all over the world against Jewish people and our beloved Mosaic law and this temple. And besides, he's brought Greeks, Gentiles into the temple area, capital offense, and defiled this holy place. Well, and Luke tells you how it happened. They had previously, probably in the day in the marketplace, saw Trophimus, who they know, they recognize that's an Ephesian in the city with, oh, there's Paul. And somehow they didn't get a hold of him there and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area that one of those four men was actually Trophimus who's trying to sneak in like to make a Jew as a Gentile. So they went furious. The whole city was in an uproar. The people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. Why are the gates shut? This guy, Paul, has nine lives, and they know it. All right, so we've tried to kill him from Acts chapter 11 all the way to Acts chapter 21. We haven't been able to do it. So shut the gates. He's not getting out. We got the guy, all right? Let's talk about it. We'll go back to verse 26. I'll do some paraphrasing, talk about these things. Note takers were in number three, the frenzied mob. It's called backfiring. Uh, Paul fell in with the suggestion Uh, The wisdom, all of the commentators say, the wisdom of Paul, not the best here, but he's not sinning. And we can totally understand uh, why Paul is going to uh, put himself in harm's way and take the chance. What's going through Paul's head? He's probably thinking, well, I'm going to show you scripture in a second. But he's probably, it's a mixed bag of dread and hopefulness, you see. And so uh, certainly he's not doing anything wrong. In fact, do you remember a few chapters back, Paul took a Jewish vow himself because he said, we were free to do that. And he wanted to thank God. It was the three missionary journeys were over and he took a vow of thanksgiving, shaved his head, just like these guys, right? So there's nothing wrong in what he's doing. Is it the smartest move? Well, Here's what Paul's thinking, 1 Corinthians 9. Paul just wants everybody to be saved. Paul's about, look, the Jews. How do I build a bridge to him and not a wall? So here's how he lived his life. Not the law of Moses, the law of love. And, and not that I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. Grace, 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 who cares about you? Let's care about you. 
to save you. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win them, to those who not having the law, I became like, I don't have, I'm not under the law either, though I'm not free from God's law, those moral laws, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. All without sinning. There's no sin involved, no compromise of truth. Just a way to deal with people in grace. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I must save some. That's his heartbeat. So here he is. He's not the leader. He's not calling the shots. He's in a very intimidating situation where they're in charge. And Christian love and biblical teaching is to come under. So he's like, okay, it's not sin. I want to save people. Maybe if they do see me in the temple, even though it's a pretense, maybe it'll be helpful. And so he agrees to do it. In other words, so when he was out with a Jewish person, you know, and they're like, oh, we can't order the BLT here, you know, and he's like, oh, yeah. He loves BLTs, but he's, he's like, no, I'll, I'm not going to order a BLT in front of a, a, a Christian Jew, even though he could tell the Christian Jew, bro, Jesus said all food is clean, that the Old Testament dietary laws have served their purposes, Mark chapter 7 and verse 19, done, clean, everything. He doesn't say that because he wants to build that person up. He's not going to change the truth, but he's just sensitive to people. That's what he's doing here. So here's the situation here. Um, we've already seen what happened. Uh, a case of uh, mistaken identity, sort of. He, they just make an, an assumption that's not true. They've seen him earlier with a guy that maybe looked like one of the guys with the shaved heads, and they just, one thing uh, uh, jumped into another, and boom, uh, there you have it. And so next paragraph, please, starting at 28B, uh, Luke kind of explains everything that happens there. We've already talked about that. But <laughs> they act like they found a serial killer. Man, this is it. This is our moment. We got him, the famous guy who's out evangelizing the entire world. And quote, turning the world upside down. That's what they did. And then they see it as all against the Jewish people. So everybody comes running from all different directions and they seize him and the gates are shut as we've been talking about here. Uh, we're, let's finish up here with the life-saving intervention. Uh, 31 through the end of our section. It goes on, but we don't have time. Uh, 31. While they were trying to kill him, they're trying to murder him in the temple courts. News reached the commander of the Roman troops there in the Tower of Antonia, where Pontius Pilate was, where Jesus was tried. It's connected to the temple. It's only a couple hundred feet away, a couple flights of steps, boom, they're there. They come down, the city's in an uproar, 
the commander at once took some of officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. <laughs> that was nice of them. Uh, the commander came up and arrested Paul. And or yeah, you arrest the good guy. That's what we do. Just arrest him, not the killers. Killers, they're free to go. Uh, and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Agabus prophecy come to pass. A man came earlier in the chapters saying, Paul, you're going to be bound there. And there it is. Then he asked, who was he, who he was, and what he had done. And everybody's shouting something different and the commander couldn't get to the bottom of it because of the uproar so he ordered Paul to be taken into the bar barracks when Paul reached the steps the violence of the mob was so great and they were ready to tear him to pieces that they had to carry Paul up above the reaching hands above their heads into the barracks there for protection and the crowd that followed kept shouting away with him Away with him does not mean take him away from here. It means rid the earth of him. Let's kill him now. And they would have, if they could have just got a hold of his throat, they would have choked him to death and suffocated as it were. As it was, they were beating him nearly to death. So let's talk about this life-saving intervention, our final point here. Good to remember, they don't kill him. They fail. In fact, he's going to be freed from prison, uh, and he's going to live another 10 years. And you know why? Because God's in charge of our lives, and you and I are indestructible until our expiration date, until God says, you know what? You've completed the good purpose for which I created you. Now come and enjoy heaven forever. When that day comes, we go. But until then, it doesn't matter, as, as King David said, though an army besiege me and 10,000 soldiers come at me with a spear, I'm not going to worry. Because God's will, God loves me, he knows, and he's powerful enough uh, to take care of me. And, and God did, he took care of him there. He didn't die again. They said, uh, this is a guy with nine lives. They were wrong. He has 10. <laughs> So, yeah, a paradox. They're trying to kill him. Here's the paradox. Arguably, one of the most godly men, filled with love, not vengeful, not revenge, he had no revenge in his heart, forgiving, kind, obeying governing authorities. This guy was nobody you wanted to kill, unless, of course, it's the message, and it's not Paul you want to kill, but it's God. Jesus himself said, why do you guys keep taking it personally as if you wrote these truths that are aggravating people and causing them to push back? They hate me. It's about me first, then you, because you're my messenger. You didn't make the stuff up. You're just passing along what I said, and it's what I said and me that they have a problem with. They don't want to bow the knee. They don't want to have a Lord. And so to uh, get rid of the message, sometimes they <laughs> direct their hostility at the messenger. And so <clears throat> this is what's going on here. Uh, how does he continue to be brave, confident, loving God, forgiving, no bitterness? How does he do that? He's just like Jesus. He, 
One writer said he, Paul is never more Christ-like than when he's enduring persecution. Because just like Jesus, who, Peter tells us, when he was reviled, he opened not his mouth. When Jesus was slandered, he made no threats. Instead, and I'm quoting, he entrusted himself to God the Father who judges justly. You see, that's what Paul was doing. In fact, Paul will say all through his writings, what an honor for me to, to suffer like Jesus, the Son of God, in the same way for the same reasons. It says, who am I to be that worthy? <laughs> and so he saw it as a gift he could give back to God to suffer well for his name's sake. And yeah, suffer well. He told the Corinthians that he had been in prison frequently, whipped times without number, faced death again and again. He says, five times I received from the Jewish authorities 39 lashes. Five times on his back, 39 times five. Now, I had this thought that ha have these guys who want to kill him and abuse him and cause him terrible pain and suffering, when they get to heaven, if they did not repent and they stand before the, the, the throne of God and Paul the apostle who will, <laughs> he will be shining. He will be because our honor and glory in the life to come is very commensurate with our faithfulness here. So Paul the apostle He's going to shine. And for those men to see him then, it's going to be a terrifying place to be, not only to face Paul, but to face the Lord. Yeah. So, yeah, he's shining the light and the truth of God, folks, in a world that Jesus said prefers darkness. Expect a little pushback. And praise God that we live in a time and a place where we don't experience the full brunt that our brothers and sisters are experiencing in Indonesia, in, in Libya. There are born-again Christians in these places where you, you say one word against Allah and it's off with your head. We don't, we, we don't suffer like that. Let's uh, move on. John Phillips asked this question. He says, where are all the Jewish Christian pastors and the leaders when Paul needs them the most? Uh, because when, he, when he's being mobbed, thanks to their advice, apparently, and I'm quoting him, they did nothing to secure his release, nothing to speak on his behalf, uh, nothing to appeal to the Jews of Jerusalem that, oh, oh, wait a second, you got the wrong idea here. And they sent nobody to go get the Romans to, to intervene. No, they're quiet. Another writer said the discipline of being abandoned like the Lord Jesus. He writes about it, doesn't he? Matthew does. He says everybody at the table on that night was saying, well, we're with you. We're one with you. We'll stand up for you. And then it's written that when the mob closed in to Jesus, they all abandoned him. The discipline of being abandoned, most Christians, you have to go through that. Uh, betrayal, uh, leaning on, on people, that lets you down. Why? Because in that discipline, God allows you the beautiful grace of seeing 
that he is the one we look to. He alone. King David had to go through it. He said, even though my mother and father abandoned me, you will never forsake me. You see, it's a precious truth to learn. And there's nothing like when the world closes in around you and you're in trouble to find out the truth about everybody around you. There's just nothing like it. And sometimes God allows, as I often say, what he hates to accomplish uh, what he loves. And that's for us to stick to the, to the one who sticks closer to us than a brother. That's our Lord and Savior. So, uh, yeah. So he gets deserted. And the 600, let me show you a picture of the, the temple area there again here. There's a sign on this door that says, any foreigner in three languages, this is the temple, this is that temple area. Anybody who goes through here as a foreigner, you're responsible for your death that will follow immediately thereafter. Okay, that's the sign there. Now, when they're beating him, they're beating him here because they get ejected from there and they're beating, they're going to kill him here. And here's the, where the Romans hang out. There's 600 troops there. There's 600 guys. And um, interesting that on this side, the other side, that Jesus our Lord stood and heard the same words, away with him. Same words in the same situation Paul's mind, where does it go? Maybe there. But, you know, as they're beating him and closing in to kill him, isn't he thinking about, oh my word, this is how it feels. I was in the crowd 27 years ago. I was crying out and inciting them to murder somebody like me. And in fact, it was Stephen. Stephen was being held up and Paul was down there saying, kill him. And in this case, he wasn't rescued. He comes down as it were. And they pile rocks on him and crushed him to death with Paul going, yes. Now, the roles are reversed. And didn't Paul know? He knew it was coming. Because when he got saved, God, the Holy Spirit, spoke to a prophet, a Christian man in Damascus named Ananias. And he said, I want you to go see Brother Saul. His name's Paul now. And he goes, no, 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 I can't do that. Don't you know, God? He's ter- he, he wreaks havoc around here. He's done so much damage. He's caused so much suffering. I can't go there. And the Lord goes, shh. He's my chosen servant, and I'm going to show him how much he's going to have to suffer for me. You see? So there's always been a call to suffer, and Paul has always known it and suffered well. So some, some beautiful things here uh, to think about. Here's how I want to close our time and go into communion, is this question. How do you keep getting pummeled your entire Christian life assassination plots treated unjustly, unfairly, going down dead ends with your life and all kinds of problems, just trying to obey God. And yet you get whipped and flogged and imprisoned and hated. And yet, now how do you do that? And your faith 
is unwavering. Your love never fails. Your, your heart is sweet toward those who would harm you. You live with forgiveness and mercy and grace. And you get up every morning with a smile and you're ready to serve God. How do you do that? Right there, the cross. God has hidden us in Christ, in the cross, if you will, that our lives, we have died already, as the Bible says, that our life is really hidden in Christ. And that blood that Jesus shed for Paul, he said, listen, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me, Galatians 2.20. So everything Paul does is because he did that for me, the Son of God. He could have left me as a terrorist and let me perish, but somehow he worked kindness and saved me and bled out and died for me. So I, I'm going to, to endure all with God's grace. I'm going to forgive all and entrust them to God the Father. That's how you do it. Now, as we're served communion, I want you to think. I want you to think about your attitudes toward people who have harmed you, people who are troublesome, people who are difficult, and our attitudes if Paul can maintain love and write 1 Corinthians 13 about the love chapter there, knowing what he's been through, man, then certainly we can love those who are difficult to love. So let's use this time to bring those people and situations where we need healing, where we can just release and let go and let God do some work in our hearts and lives. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, now for the communion time, we pray, Lord, that we take these very deep and profound truths that are not natural. God, they're not. They don't come natural. Everything's a reach here. <laughs> it's all, we all have to just shift into faith here, God. Faith. Faith that you bled and died for us. Faith that your love has changed our lives and that you require us to for, to forgive, to extend grace. Help us, God, in these moments to just make some changes with our attitudes. God, call us on the carpet and show us stuff, God, that's hindering us from enjoying your wonderful grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.